A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the House of Pod. I'm Kaveh. And I'm Lizzie. And if this is your first time listening, we're a medical sort of podcast where we try to discuss medicine and health in relatable ways. And we will answer questions you may not feel comfortable asking your doctor and definitely won't bring up to your friends. On today's show, we're going to discuss whether or not it's okay to send pictures of your poop to your doctor. And we have a special guest. We have Umang Mehta, a plastic surgeon who's going to talk to us about some of the misconceptions of plastic surgery and how big is too big when it comes to breast augmentation. The opinions expressed on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. Welcome back to the House of Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Kaveh. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Joe. How are we doing, guys? How the heck are we doing, Joe? Language lady. Jesus. Every time this happens now, the last three episodes, Lizzie and I look right at each other and we're like, who's going to go first? <laughs> I'm just curious as to see what you're going to say. I I'm just meant to you jump down. all over and I pussed out and I just didn't this time. Wussed out? Is that yeah, be? I'll yeah. accept either. Okay. <laughs> I mean, pussed out sounds really awkward. Yeah. And it's not, yeah. It's, it's not an appealing word. No, it's not. But, um, but I'm doing well. Your point's taken. Going right into this. Yeah. I'm doing very, very well. Um, the rap recording's going well too. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, the rapper. Not what the rapper, it? the rap music composer slash Yeah, producer. no, I, I don't think anyone's Buying thinking it. that you're going to be the person laying down the actual well some people did they're like oh you're writing rap music then they think oh what where how's your lyrics so i'm like no 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 no. i'm writing the music behind it laying it down playing it and then i'm going to get a rapper to do the 
rapping. Laying okay. down the beats. Yeah. Very well. I have a question for you, Joe, that maybe Kaveh and I will. I thought you were going to go right to Kaveh with the topic. Liar. Both of you guys. Both of you guys. Okay. Have you ever emailed your doctor a picture of any part of your anatomy? <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't a question about a dick pic. No. Well, uh, to be honest, I've never emailed my doctor, period. Oh. I don't use email. I should. It's just um, I haven't had a need for it yet, but I know that it's convenient and it's the common thing in today's world. And I'm about 100 years behind everything, too. So, yeah, but uh, we need a millennial to come yeah. over to your house and help you. Yeah. Um, anyway, so have Kaveh, I mean like ever, a pic, you mean like a picture of what's like wrong a, with them? Like a rash. I have this right. rash. We take a look at it. Right. So Kaveh and I in our field of gastroenterology get pictures of poop. I'm not going to lie. Poop? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that common. It, it makes sense, actually. It's just Does weird. it? Does it? I think it does. <laughs> well, it, I, don't, it, I don't know. If you can look at poop and tell, so well, I don't know. Okay, so here's, here's what I will say in regards to that, is that we have developed um, a vocabulary to help us figure out everything we need to know They're about called, your poop. called words. We have, if your doctor isn't good at sort of getting that information from you, if they can't elicit the information they Why need. Why not just give you the whole the then, damn thing right in front of you? Then you, a picture can sometimes be useful. But listen, nobody likes to see pictures of poop, okay? <laughs> not even GI doctors. Not even, not even GI doctors, what? okay? As we reviewed with Graham Walker, one of our emergency medicine room doctor uh, guests a few recently, we don't see that much poop. So yeah, words, you know, a picture does tell a thousand words, but you know, we can, if a patient can articulate or as you would say, articulated, um, articulator, articulator, right. If a patient can't necessarily express, I have blood, mucus, um, anything, you know, diarrhea, constipation, if they can't express that, it is our job as the expert to say, are you seeing black colored stool? Because in the end, I don't need your picture and and it's it's really off putting. I think it's okay, but but there's nothing that you're gonna tell me from your picture. If you tell me that you're having a bowel movement once a week, I believe you. If you're telling me it's really uncomfortable, you know it is July right now. I've had this conversation with many interns. You know you have to take a patient's word at a hundred percent value. You have to believe it. So if a patient says I have blood in my stool. This, the med, the intern, the resident, a trainee, you don't need to go get a test for blood in your stool. Right. You have to 100% of the time believe, that patient. believe your patient yeah. until proven otherwise. I will say this. What does it have to do with July? I didn't get that. Sorry. Um, interns, new residents and interns ah. traditionally start, they finish med school and the first day of work traditionally is July 1st. Oh. So do, and everyone says, Bad don't go to the hospital. To so Although my theory... End of June is when I'll get my next surgery. My theory yeah. is is that there's so much fear about July 1st that there's overcompensation. Mm-hmm. So the worst time to get sick is probably August 1st because oh. that's when you start to let your guard down. Uh-huh. That's my, my own oh, personal theory. Good to know. Because everyone's so nervous. Getting back to pictures of poop, I will say <laughs> this. I have... I don't think there's ever been a time when I've seen a picture of someone's poop and it's helped me more than the questions I asked. That's a good objective way to say it. Yeah, there's never been a time where I've been like, oh, yay, that's what you meant by brown. Right. Like, I'm always like, okay, yeah, I get it. No, that's a great way to say it because I was going to say there's never been a picture of poop that I've gotten that, like, that I'm happy about. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's, it's so shocking. You know, you're reading like dozens of emails a day from patients and now you have this picture that by the way is in the chart forever. It it ties the poop picture to them. It's kind of gross. That being said, that being said, if you 
don't feel like you can explain it well, and if you don't feel like your doctor is eliciting the information the right way, then if you need to send a picture of poop, you know, please God do. bless you. God bless you. It's okay. Send them to Joe. But no. usually, I'm just saying usually it is, I agree. I think that's your point. I agree. It is usually not a really useful addition to what, to, to our knowledge. Right. I feel like it is our job. Sometimes we just do a procedure, but it is our so, job to ask, you know, yes or no questions if someone is not being that, you know, descriptive and that's, a, or, or we see you in the office and talk about it, you know? So poop is a bad example. I get it. But I think other things could be really useful for to see a picture. Like, of course. <laughs> Go on. I hate giving examples because then it's implied that it's my own. No, we assume you have an imagination. Okay. And also herpes. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's be honest. So if I were to send the doctor a say bump, it a bump pick. in a it's certain okay. area. When you know you could look at it and clearly probably tell right away by looking. At, how do you describe a, a a rash? I mean, on your penis. On your penis, yeah. a rash can mean many things. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. I will say this: there is um, people in general don't have a great vocabulary for that sort of thing. Doctors themselves can be uh, it can be difficult for them to describe a rash. We have words to describe it, but it can be difficult. And that's why so much of dermatology is a visual sort of medium, and that's why telemedicine is becoming a little bit more common yeah. for dermatology as well. Um, so people can see that sort of thing. I that, think, um, skin is definitely yeah, a right. category. The question then, you know, I think a dermatologist can look at a picture of skin, even if it's on your penis and tell you if you need to come in, tell you if you yeah. need a swab, tell you if you need a biopsy or whatever. Poop is a little bit different, different. Totally different. And there's not that much, I guess, that you can send to your doctor you know a bruise skin yeah. stuff poop like i'm trying to it's think it's limited it. to specific, yeah i get yeah. it i get it but it is you know it's an interesting topic i think that dermatology has that benefit though that yeah. you can do stuff remotely yeah. you know all over the and radiology i of just course. can't believe people send you poop i, I mean it doesn't happen that much I just, it, it does know not. that happened didn't know that happened yeah maybe no. maybe once a year or twice a year yeah what about pee the color of the, the urine. I mean, well, they don't I'm colorblind. So they don't. They don't send it to us, but <laughs> I'm sure private practice doctors. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry, outpatient doctors who are do yeah. pre- you know, All right. Next primary topic. care. They probably get pictures of pee and other weird things. And also sputum. Like you can cough up sort of you know a loogie. And a doctor, a pulmonary critical care doctor, will ask often, "What's the color? Are you producing anything in your cough? And mm-hmm. what's the color?" And that will help them make a decision. Right. But my guess is, just like us, they probably don't need to see pictures of it if you describe it the right. way they need. Well, it is interesting. For us, um, black stool represents uh, sometimes bleeding. Sometimes it's iron. Sometimes it's Pepto-Bismol. Sometimes it's something you ate. But for us, when I hear black stool, I immediately think that there might be blood. And people really have a hard time. I say, do you have black stool? And they'll say, it's really dark. And I'll say, no, 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 no. Is it, is it black? You know, cause that's well, really different. Really? Dark, dark brown. Yeah. Like the color of my stethoscope is what we'll say. Like, is it, it has that, to be that black to describe for it? what we're thinking. Mm. We want to know that we want to know if it's that black or if it's not, that helps us figure well, out I've not only if very, it's very, very dark, but not quite black uh, of oh, your, boy, of your own. No, somebody else's. <laughs> I'm like, which is worse, Joe, you revealing your own personal information or the fact that you're looking at other people's I know. poop? <laughs> I think, uh, I, think that's en- the wall on that one. I think that's enough on photos of poop Agreed. in this segment. Um, when we come back, we're going to have our guest. We have a really cool plastic surgeon coming to us. His name is Umang Meta, and he went to med school at Ohio State. He did his residency at St. Louis University and fellowship at the Lasky Clinic in Beverly Hills. 
He's coming to us from the Meta Plastic Surgery Center, I guess, in Atherton, California. Uh, just Google Meta Plastic Surgery, Atherton, California. He's awesome. Stick around. It's a good show. I learned something very interesting uh, in my preparation for this interview today. And I'm going to start by asking Lizzie and uh, Joe, do you know where the term plastic surgery comes from? Interesting question. Why is it called plastic surgery? I don't know. And I'm really embarrassed because I'm it's, pretty sure Joe knows. No, but I was thinking that exact same question on the drive up here. I was like, but, where but you did don't that, know the answer. No, but I was thinking about it. I was like, where did it come from? Maybe back in the day when it first came out, there was some sort of artificial product used. So like, you think like plastic. Right, right. You think like silicone right, or plastic right. parts are used in plastic surgery. Sure. But the name comes from before Oh, I know. Put Lizzie. a bag over your head and do your business, that kind of thing? Not plastic, a plastic bag. bag. That's over how you head. kill somebody. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Paper bag. I, I withdraw the comment. I'm going to, uh, if I can ask our guest, Umong Meta, may I uh, offer Please the answer? Please do, yes. It absolutely. actually comes from plastikos, which is a Greek word for uh, like recreate or like to redefine. So it's actually not plastics as in like plastics as we know them, like you know, things you, you know, like plastic Tupperware and that sort of thing, or silicone. It is from a Greek word, huh? That's pretty cool. That is cool. Well, will, you, will, you, will you pat him on the back? I read that, that online. That, that could be totally false. I don't know. <laughs> well, so, so when plastic was first developed, part of its appeal was that it could be created into different shapes very easily. So it, it kind of comes from the same from the same root. The, Damn it, the, you're the right. thing plastic <laughs> you're and, right. and plastic <laughs> surgery so or plastic. So <laughs> I had a feeling Damn it, that's an excellent point. No, no, the thing is, I'm right, but he's writer. Right, exactly. Nobody's wrong in this game. No, it's just like no, Little League. No, it's exactly. just like Pee Wee baseball. Right, Nobody exactly. loses But clearly here. that was the smarter thing. You, you still get a trophy. Thanks, man. For Everyone all of you considering does. being a guest on our show, there are no losers. Please come. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we will make you look smarter than us. That yeah. is for sure. Thank you for coming. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We have Umong Meta with us. Um, and uh, here's a couple of things I want to talk to you about. You know, in uh, public perception, Public perception of plastic surgeons is is sort of uh, all from reality TV and movies. Sure. Um, and it's become very popular, I think, in the last 10 years, or it's become a little bit more like um, well-known, I think. But I think we, I'm guessing we have a misconception of what plastic surgery is really like. And I think this goes for doctors as well. What is the difference between what you're seeing on TV, reality shows, et cetera, and the reality of being a plastic surgeon? Specifically, Botched, which those guys are hysterical. I've seen like two episodes, and you sure. can get their personalities within five seconds. Right. And Nip Tuck. Those are the two, like, we try to sometimes compare <laughs> professions to TV movies, and those two shows, I think, are crazy. You know, the Nip Tuck, totally, we talked about, it, like, Jump the Shark after episode, you know, one or two. Like, that, it just right. went that to an show, extreme like, degree. Jump the new shark every, yeah. like, episode, and then they, I think they start to embrace the the silliness of it, but then right. it lost me after like it maybe was the like, third episode I think or something. murder every other day. Yeah, right. So, Is that what it's like <laughs> as a plastic surgeon? So, how, how much murder? So full, full disclosure. So I, so to be honest, I, I actually haven't watched either show. I, I, I always find depictions of uh, plastic surgery on TV to be you know quite sensationalized and, yeah. and yeah. quite 
unrealistic and there's there's always additional drama being created just to make things interesting and exciting and all that not that it's not an interesting exciting job but yeah. but i it's you know it's kind of like you know, i wonder if lawyers watch a show like la law or ally mcbeal or whether they yeah. know, when they get home from work it's sort of like yeah that's the last thing you want to see right, kind right. of thing i don't know are, 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 there, are there any gi shows on tv that you guys gi specific there should <laughs> be yeah, there should hey ooh, we can ooh, pitch one write that down well we had a guest on recently sarah peters a, a lawyer who specifically said she avoids law shows, law TV. She's just like, I don't find it relatable. Right. It is sensationalized. It makes me unhappy to watch it. It's not like <laughs> it's not a fun sure. distraction. Yeah. So yeah. tell us what, what yeah. your thoughts are on your profession, your colleagues, what you've learned. I, you know, and also I guess why, why you chose it. I think that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for me, it was a really, uh, it was a gradual process. When I started medical school, I, I knew that I wanted to be a surgeon. I loved anatomy. I loved working with my hands. I, I loved that the the rewards you get from operating on somebody are instantaneous mm-hmm. in the sense that you complete the procedure and and you're done. You can see what you've accomplished and, and, and those kinds of things. So right. that was always really appealing to me. Anatomy was the first thing I did in medical school in the first three months and I was I, I, I adored it. I, I found the anatomy of the head and neck particularly interesting. and. Gradually, as I went through the different surgical subspecialties in my third and fourth year, I was drawn to ENT. And so that was my initial residency was in ear, nose, and throat. And then after that, I did a fellowship in facial plastic surgery. And as far as plastic surgery goes, I think what was most interesting was the fact that it's both right-brained and left-brained. It's one of the areas of medicine that requires artistry, creativity. It's, it's not just... You know, working through algorithms or sure. or you know uh, problem solving and 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 uh, and obviously in all all areas of medicine there's a component of that but with this it's truly you're creating something and and it's uh, you're it's you're judged both by not just function or form but or not just function but also the form right. essentially so it's right. the, it's it's the it's the the art of it is what what I found really fascinating and and the fact yeah. that each case is so unique we we relate to that to a certain degree because people always ask us you know mm-hmm. it's usually like patients right before they're about to be sedated for a procedure they're like why did you go into this field <laughs> it's very judgy but, <laughs> right. but but we understand their question and the real answer that we've talked about before is that it's uh, a field that we were drawn to because it had both that cerebral component and the procedural component right we could, use, right, absolutely. We could think about things there's some there's some intellectual aspect to it, but then we also get to play with toys. Right. Yeah. It sure, is, it, sure. you know, we've talked, it's a little bit like a video game to do scoping. It's not, I don't think of it as artistry. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that, you know, with plastic surgery, you, you do sculpt, you do form, you know, and that, that, right. that right. we don't get, but then we talk about many times on the show, what we do outside of work to get that like this. Mm-hmm. And these guys play music, you know, and that mm-hmm. you have to sort of challenge your brain, both sides. Right. right. Are you, um, General plastic surgery, or is it specific head and neck? So or? just facial plastic surgery. Facial plastic. Right, right. So that's uh, after. So the ENT residency is five years, and then it's a one-year fellowship for facial plastic surgery versus general plastics. Most people do general surgery first, and then and then do a, a, a general plastics fellowship type so thing. It's, so it's you, a lot so, of years. Right, right. So you can end up, you know, doing the same kinds of uh, procedures with facial plastics and general plastics, but in general, so my training is exclusively in the head and neck. So, mm. so everything from the neck up, essentially. Got it. Yeah. So when we talk about the differences between reality TV and movie perception of what plastic surgery is like and the reality of it, one of the things I think of, and me as a doctor, I think of this, and I'm sure 
most listeners do too, is that boobs. your waiting room boobs. And <laughs> when you hear plastic surgery and you're like, right. what I think or, of, I'm like boobs. Or a waiting room filled with like 16, 18 year old girls getting a nose job before college, something like that. That's sort of the perception that we have. I think uh, there's that, or there's the 60, 70 year old, really rich, typically probably white woman also right. waiting. And we're thinking for... rich, rich people. <laughs> we're thinking mostly cosmetic surgery. Sure. I mean, tell us what the difference between that and reality is, or is there one? I mean, is there a difference? Right. Well, so it, it does depend on each individual practice in terms of in, in where you're located in the country, the type of procedures you offer. Um, you know, there are obviously both surgical and non-surgical procedures that a lot of plastic surgeons perform. But in general, my practice is focused prim- primarily on rhinoplasty. It's about 90% of what I do is nasal surgery. And so that includes both cosmetic and functional and reconstructive surgery. So I see a lot of patients that have had nasal traumas, have you know broken their noses and have a lot mm-hmm. of trouble breathing. Patients that have perforations in their nose from cocaine use—that's a—that's another common issue that I yeah, that wow. I deal with. I do a lot of uh, skin cancer reconstruction, so patients that have had a, a, either a melanoma or a basal cell or a squamous cell carcinoma on their nose, and the dermatologist has removed it. But did a bad the, job. Well, no, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's it's actually that when it's a small uh, removal, then often the the Mohs surgeon will remove it them will reconstruct it themselves but if it's a larger defect or a larger you know area of skin that was removed yeah. then they'll often send them to a facial plastic surgeon or a or a plastic surgeon for the for the reconstruction so so those are the types of nasal surgeries that I do and then I do a lot of revision surgery as well where uh, patients have <laughs> Um, ha- had previous surgery or multiple mm-hmm. surgeries and require additional cartilage from their ear, from their rib to rebuild the nose. Um, so yeah, so in terms of the types of patients I see, it's it's a wide range. I I see patients as young as uh, six or seven. They're often patients, um, you know, children that are coming in for otoplasties to have their ears pinned back if their mm. if their ears are very prominent. And mm. typically around the time mm. they're starting school, that's an appropriate age because the ear has finished growing at that point. So that's the youngest I see. And then I for cosmetic have, for cosmetic, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you could argue it's both cosmetic and you know functional to to an extent. But yeah, but it's primarily cosmetic. Yeah. And then the oldest patients are generally patients in their seventies, sometimes even in early 80s, I'll see patients for uh, some of the skin cancer reconstructions we talked about. Patients are coming in for things like Botox or for fillers, mm-hmm. um, for surgery as well, for eyelid surgery, facelifts, those those kinds of things. So it's a it's a wide range, and it's uh, and I'd say the patients it's not it's not just the the the, the wealthy patients. I definitely right. definitely get a really wide spectrum of patients, and they're so fantastic a, to work with. Yeah. As actually as part of my extensive research prior to this interview. <laughs> Plastico. Which is like, I looked at like one <laughs> Wikipedia page or something. Um, actually, what I read was that uh, the the majority of people who undergo uh, cosmetic surgery aren't rich. They're what are considered to be middle class and they're mm-hmm. oftentimes paying out of pocket uh, for those surgeries. So it, it is. It is sort of a misconception, to my understanding. That's not just all true for rich people true. getting true, absolutely. you know cosmetic stuff done. You worked in uh, Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you were very popular because you look <laughs> Iranian, and, and my people probably came to you in droves. Well, you trained. You trained in Beverly. Hills? I trained. So that was my fellowship training uh, at, at the, the last Alaska clinic. clinic, right? And now you're working in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between those patient populations and what it's like to work in Silicon Valley? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Beverly Hills Fellowship uh, training I had was fantastic. It was amazing. It was a really, really uh, fantastic clinic. We had a, there was actually, it was pretty interesting. There was a secret back door that the, that the celebrities would come in through so that they wouldn't nice. be caught by the paparazzi. Nice. Uh, and, uh, 
And uh, so uh, it, it was all very, you know, very hush hush at times. Well, tell like, tell uh, us all of your patients, ready? <laughs> <laughs> tell us everyone. We're not right. recording, don't worry. No uh, one's listening. No one's listening. Okay. I would have to kill all three. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, uh, were there really like paparazzi outside? Like not parked in? outside all the time, but but, but you, there were over the years. There was always I, a I, I didn't personally see a paparazzo. Uh-huh. Paparazzo, I guess. I, guess I don't know. Oh my god. That is paparazzo. We're learning a lot of Latin and Greek and Italian on the show. you're Italian. Is it paparazzi? Couldn't yes. tell you on that one. He's like, what? What were <laughs> we talking about? <laughs> so, but yeah, but there, over the years, I had, I had heard stories about uh, about uh, you know paparazzi, you know, parking outside and you know trying to trying to uh, figure out who, you know when uh, when pe- not, not not at that specific clinic, but just all over Beverly Hills. It's a relatively small area, and there's right. such a high concentration of clinics that uh, it's not surprising that you would have people parked and you know, trying to catch the celebrities at that at that moment. Gotcha. But, um, we actually had a, a, a funny story where there was a, there was an actress who actually sort of staged her own um, sort of uh, gotcha moment where she actually brought in her own paparazzo to <laughs> to take photos of her secretly as sort of a publicity thing. Oh, was, I was I, like, I, I can't wow. I can't say who it was, but it was it was it was. Does it, it, it was rhyme with Mardashian? <laughs> it does not. Barlett Bohanson? <laughs> it does not. No, no. So uh, so anyway, no, but it was an amazing experience, and and I was actually um, uh, on staff at USC while I was there. So four days a week, I was in Beverly Hills, and then one day a week, I was uh, in East LA at County Hospital teaching the residents how to mm. how to do rhinoplasty, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and uh, I had a chance to staff a lot of my own cases and all that. So it, was, it really got to see a lot of really wide range of uh, patient types and surgeries, right, and right. Uh, it was an amazing experience. And then with Silicon Valley. I'd say what's uh, really unique about the Bay Area, I think, is that, and it's something I hear really commonly from a lot of my a lot of my patients who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s. What they tell me is that they are. It's such a youth culture in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, often a lot of tech companies, the CEO is, right. you know, 23 years old, yeah, yeah, 25, 30 <clears throat> years old, right out of college, and <laughs> and so in that world, you're, you know, versus, you know, I think in other parts of the country, often there's a little bit less of that that youth effect to some extent you patients want to look young refreshed in touch and sort of hip like you know yes. down with technology so and they all wear their hoodies <laughs> that's right and then they all go for a little squirt of botox or exactly, whatever exactly exactly so, i didn't think about that but so yeah both, yeah men and women both actually I, I i get a lot i have a lot of patients who are who are in tech who that's exactly what they'll tell me is that i you know they don't want to look like the older person at the office and so they're trying to fit in a culture of people that are wearing hoodies. We and, were talking about yeah. that just before how, you know, if you're going to choose your doctor, you know, the stereotype is a white haired, probably a white man, you know, from, you know, the last hundred years of our, our, our country's history. Right. And now it is interesting how Silicon Valley, the desired look. Silicon, Silicon Valley. Did Silicon. I say Silicon? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a play on words that's appropriate. Yeah. For this episode, right. but it's, still. Totally. it's funny. I, I think I do yeah, that all the time. Silicon Valley is in Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just that in Silicon Valley that sure. the, the desired look effect would be a younger person to run a company, whereas traditionally you would right. think a seasoned veteran would be the desired person, you know? So right, it, is, right. it isn't this changing culture. I guess it just proves the millennials are taking over. And. On that point, I imagine because there's so many guys in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and, so, and these are all like dudes trying to look younger, like they're trying to look like Zuckerberg or something, mm-hmm. whoever the young guys are now, I don't know. <laughs> so, now, and by the way, Zuckerberg is old now. You're totally dating right. yourself. <laughs> right. I'm just kidding. So is it more men that you see uh, than you did perhaps in Beverly Hills 
Or because I mean, still remember going mm. back to misperceptions about who you see and what a plastic surgeon does. I mean, we assume it's a lot of like young women getting breast jobs, nose jobs, that sort of thing. But sure, yeah, yeah. So it, is it more men? I would say that because because of my practice is uh, more rhinoplasty focused, I I do see a higher percentage of men than a lot of plastic surgeons do. I you know uh, obviously with. Uh, with general plastic surgery, you're seeing patients for tummy tucks, breast augmentations, facelifts, eyelids. And, and, you know, those are, uh, you know, while many men do have some of those procedures, I would say uh, rhinoplasty tends to be more, uh, more of an of an even balance, male female. I'd say probably still 70% of the patients I see are, are female, but 30% are, are you know, it's a fairly high percentage of see? male patients for, in, in, yeah. uh, you know, for, Sorry, you for mean a, like mine. Rhinoplasty, you know, because of athletic injury is that the implication why men would do it more because women are yeah. obviously can be jo- jockey i played no real form of basketball but i broke my nose twice playing basketball <laughs> kave was sleeping and he broke his nose <laughs> it's a it's a very difficult maneuver i pulled him my suit turning over so the yeah so so absolutely so so i think a lot of the guys i see that are coming in for uh, deviated septums for uh, trouble breathing through their nose mm-hmm. often their athletic injuries um, yeah, I, you know, right I, and a, a lot of cosmetic too, though. I, you know, I think it's, I, I think there's some of both. And then, and and you'd be surprised at how many men come in for things like, uh, you know, Botox and facial fillers. Yeah. And, and again, getting back to the looking back, you know, looking young in Silicon yeah. Valley. And, uh, so it's actually a higher percentage than you would think. And along the lines of that, with men, or I guess women too, but Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley, and practicing there. <laughs> You know, it's certainly known to be a wealthy neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier about um, cocaine-induced sort of septal defect. Is that really that common? Because I assume those two things are linked. Lots of cocaine and lots of money, right? <laughs> sure. So is so, it more uh, more common than I would think? Uh, I, I don't know that that's an area-specific uh, thing in the in the, in the Bay Area. But I so um, so I would say that uh, w- yeah. So it's so it is not it's not the most common procedure I perform, but I yeah. but I do perform that procedure fairly often. Yeah. Um, septal perforation. That's basically a hole in the septum. So your septum is a wall that divides a nose into a left side and a right side. So as the result of cocaine use or trauma or surgery gone wrong, mm-hmm. uh, you can develop a hole in the the septum, which the septum is the inside of it is made of bone, bone and cartilage, and then there's a lining on each side. And so if you have a hole that goes through all three layers, then it uh, then that's essentially you have one you know instead of having two passages, the air goes back and forth, and that can cause bleeding, crusting, those kinds of things. So cocaine is definitely a, a common cause of it, but I, I don't know that it's any more common here than it would be in the rest of the, yeah. the rest yeah. of the country. I wanted a, a more cocaine. salacious story, but I'll, I'll accept your answer. Right, cocaine, hell of a drug. Got a question for you, <laughs> yeah. Long. Um, have you ever done a face transplant? And this is, by the way, I have some questions around this, and it's directly from this great resource called Nip Tech. So, <laughs> no, it was that movie with John Travolta. Face, and face Off. Face that off. scientific that documentary, Face Off. <laughs> so, Those so are I, Joe's references. So I haven't. So, so face transplant is a... It's a procedure that is quite uncommon. I would say, you know, uh, there are a few centers in the country that are that are doing some of it, but it it is, uh, you know, extremely long, complex. It it requires multiple surgeons and uh, and often uh, requires um, microvascular, um, you know, basically vascularization. So you're you're connecting the artery in the vein to the various parts of the of the face Complex. in order to, it's it right so it, it's done uh, primarily at academic medical centers versus mine is a is a private practice uh, where it's just me so so right so it's so it's not something that uh, that i do but i could definitely uh, 
answer questions about it. So, you, <laughs> so you're in practice, just you, just me. Yeah. So that's, that's must be challenging, right? Because when you're on vacation, who covers you, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's something we haven't really discussed. Like, like when med students or residents are choosing a career, do you go into a big group practice? Do you go solo practice? You know, and you mm -hmm. certainly need a profession where you're not being paged at two, three, four AM every night to be alone. Cause you need help. You need coverage. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So as a GI doctor, I would not go into solo practice. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, so you're right. So I think in general, the way medicine has changed is that more and more doctors are joining in a large multi, multi-group specialties. The, the days of hanging up your shingle on main street and, and, uh, and being the town doctor are, you know, that's sort of come to an end to some extent, but yeah, I think for what I do most of the time, patients are either in single practice or solo practices, uh, by themselves, or they will join, you know, perhaps one other uh, doctor. But it's rare to have multiple doctors where one of them is a plastic surgeon. It does happen. Uh, often you'll have, like, for example, for ENT, there'll be an ENT group, and then there'll be one facial plastic surgeon who's joins that group out of training. Uh, and and that definitely can work. It can be a source of referrals right off the bat, and 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 obviously financially can help you get started without a tremendous overhead. But uh, but I would say inevitably, uh, uh, most people end up in either a, in a solo practice or, or in a, in a s real small group practice, but uh, in terms of coverage, so I have a lot of other, uh, colleagues who do what I do in the Bay right. area. And so we all cover <clears throat> each other, uh, when, you know, one or a couple of us are out of town. So right. it's a, it's a For quality of life issues. Uh, I mean, exactly. you need that. Yeah. 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 But essentially with my own patients, I give them all my cell phone number and after everybody I've operated on has my number, they can reach me 24 seven directly. So I'm sort of always on call, but also, you know, it's, it's rare for what I do to have middle of the night emergencies since, you know, not taking care of heart attacks or sure. Right. Or, uh, but that's, uh, it's an important level of trust. I mean, you probably find that patients don't abuse that. I assume. No, it's, uh, I, would, I would say I get a couple of phone calls a week to be, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a lot. And, and I would actually rather hear from patients that the, the ones that I worry about are the ones that that don't have call. an issue, but don't call. <laughs> I would actually, right. actually rather that they no, call or, or email me or, right. or yeah. text or whatever. I, so, I yeah. stopped giving out my cell phone and that is something we can talk about in the future. Um, since I've worked where I am now and there's such a great computer system with such a great email system and d decent ancillary st staff, I don't feel like I'm inaccessible, but where I trained at NYU Bellevue, I felt like so many patients didn't have cell phones. So many patients didn't speak English you know, if they could communicate to some degree, I, I used to give out my cell phone and, and those days, those days are gone for but me. But she changed her phone number like every three months, <laughs> yeah. like used burner phones. Right. <laughs> exactly. That was for the Absolutely. other thing. But there, but there are definitely a lot of, uh, I mean, there, there are facial plastic surgeons who work at uh, academic medical centers, uh, like we were talking about with the face transplants. And you know, I think the upside is then you, you do a lot of interesting, uh, cases, you know, a lot of, uh, reconstructions, a lot of, uh, free flaps, uh, you know, that's where you take a portion of the body and use it to reconstruct another portion. So taking, you know, a piece of your arm to reconstruct your jaw or, you know, those, those kinds of things. Wow. So, um, so, so that, uh, so that's depending on the kind of practice you want to have, you know, I think if you're uh, looking for a primarily reconstructive practice, then it, then it, then it obviously does make sense to be at a larger medical center or part of a bigger group. Uh, or Kaiser as well. So, um, so a lot of facial plastic surgeons, um, you know, do uh, work at Kaiser also. And it, but it just depends what you're looking for in terms of uh, the uh, 
uh, breakdown of cosmetic versus reconstructive versus free flap surgery and you know those kinds of things. What so, would um, this may not be related? I'm curious to hear you uh, your answer here. What what um, with regards to hair transplants is that uh, considered plastic surgery or is that a separate field? It's called Rogaine. <laughs> Rogaine. Well, I can't say it on the air. We'll cut this, but it doesn't work. <laughs> We're not cutting. We're that. not cutting. <laughs> is that plastic so, surgery or facial plastic yeah, surgery? Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so hair transplant, uh, is, it's a yeah, procedure that's done by a lot of, pla- a lot of facial plastic surgeons. I, I don't perform it myself, but I, but I do have, uh, colleagues in the, in the Bay area that are, that are excellent, uh, for that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a, a very effective treatment. I, I think the, the hair transplant results have gotten a lot better over the years in terms of transplanting, you know, single or, or, you know, small, uh, uh, groups of hairs essentially. So they call them follicular subunit. Uh, but the, so the idea is that you can make it look more natural and not look like the, 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 the hair plugs, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from the eighties yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And then also e- even the the harvest of the, the, the hair. So you have to take hair from say the back of the head or an area where it's thick. Uh, what's gotten better over the years is that, uh, the, the removal of that hair can be done now without a scar and, and then transplanted into the front of the hair, wherever the hair, the hair is being lost kind of a thing. So, wow. yeah. Getting back to the pressures of Silicon Valley and men, uh, pressures on men there as a private practice, uh, plastic surgeon, do you personally feel the the need to look. You're a very handsome man, by the way. Let's make that clear. Note, note to listeners, note he's to a listeners, handsome man. You should Google it. We'll put up a picture of you <laughs> when we do this because you're a very handsome man. You, you, I know his wife. We're cool. Down. She's she, she's cool with this. I checked. She's, and a, she's a gastroenterologist she's as well. She's a gastroenterologist she's, as well. She's part of your tribe. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> do you check. feel a pressure to like look good as a plastic surgeon? Do you feel like if patients come in, if you didn't look good, would you feel like they'd be like, well, what does this guy got to tell me about <laughs> beauty? Yeah. If, uh, you know, well, there's is two it... things. There's also just your face mm-hmm. and how you dress, you know, it's also, sure. I think it's more about that actually than just the looks, Which part? the, the more just someone who's keeping themselves up and right. Yeah. He's you know. very fit. <laughs> Flag he is all every but weekend. He is also very handsome on top of the clean you guys, cut look. Just calm down. I, yeah. We like to make our guests feel super uncomfortable. My, right. <laughs> My ego is getting so big right now. It's amazing. <laughs> so, so right. So I so I, I, often in the office I, I I do wear a suit, which I which I feel like in Silicon Valley is more and more unusual. You know, the the dress here tends to be really casual, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So so I, so I, so I do have a few suits uh, that I'll that I'll throw on from time to time. On days when I'm doing uh, procedures in the office, so we do have a procedure room, uh, so I'll wear, I'll wear scrubs uh, as well. Uh, I try to make sure they're fitted so, so I can show off my physique. <laughs> he, ta- he tailors his scrubs, everybody. Right, tapered right. tapered yeah. For, yeah, for, right. for the hipster look. Absolutely. Yeah, my, my wife tells me that chest hair makes people uncomfortable, so, so I try to, try to make sure it's not too low cut in the front. You know. <laughs> do you wear wow. a big gold chain? Too? No, no, yeah. there's, there's no gold chain at all. But no, but I, but I, but I do think... I do think um, it's it's the way the way that I approach it, it is to uh, like because I don't I don't want to come across as being you know being slick or being you know too pushy or or uh, you know you see a lot of cheese you know to, to to be frank you see a lot of cheesy plastic surgeons uh, sometimes and and I definitely don't want to you're avoiding the car salesman look right I mean that's, right, exactly. that should be everybody's goal in life totally. and specifically <laughs> you know specifically a doctor because you want right. respect you know totally, um, yeah, and trust yeah. that those things are important and I yeah. do think the way you look. Yeah. For any field, really, obviously, you know, as <laughs> right. as a doctor, you know, people are are touching you. Totally, you know, you don't want to totally. look 
unclean or yeah. unkempt, you should wash your hands in front of them. <laughs> like these are little things that people notice and it are important to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think so the way I approach my consultations, like the first time I meet the patient, I spend about an hour with them and, mm-hmm. and I, I, I try to make the consultation very, uh, informative, educational. I have a bunch of diagrams and I'll go through a lot more detail than I, I think maybe even the patient wants to hear about their anatomy and sort of why they're not breathing well. What, what does the nose look like on the inside? And give them more information rather than less, and 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 it seems to be. I, I think that that's what that's what helps patients. It demystifies the process a little bit. I, you know, it's easy to pat them on the shoulder and say, "Hey, I'll I'll fix you up," but I really want them to be an, an engaged part of the the, the decision making process yeah. and all that. Yeah. Do you ever have patients come to you asking for something you don't think is reasonable? Or that you don't feel is appropriate. Kavi, you just read my mind. I was going to ask, make it more specific, though, to uh, breast implants. Can boobs ever get too big, (laughs) is Joe's question. This is fantastic. Is there such a thing as... They also are reading each other's minds. Something telepathic is going on today. I don't know what it is. It's called boobs. Yeah. I mean, I I was on that wavelength, too. (laughs) And I don't even care. Right. Kavi and Joe were in middle school. They were uh, playing with our calculators and spelling out boobs. Boobs. Not far. From the truth, actually. Eight, eight, zero, zero, eight. We, we did meet. We did meet <laughs> in math class. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can picture it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, is there such thing? as boobs that are too I know you do neck up but you probably right. have some experience with boobs I so, I, so to be honest I, I've never done a breast augmentation because I trained in ENT and yeah, facial right. maybe a better question so. is do you ever try to help the patient make the decision for them like and I'm gonna take it back to breasts I have to but, but uh, he has, he, uh, listeners he has no choice <laughs> he thank you Lizzie to. that's that's a good point <laughs> Uh, so like m- many people who go in for that type of treatment or procedure, possibly when they talk to you, you know, a, l- a lot of women, for example, who get breast implants, I think don't need them personally. And sure. I'm wondering if the doctor plays a role in making that call or if they just do whatever the patient wants. Right. So, so I think an important, that's a great question. So, so I think an, an important th- way to think about uh, what I do and what other plastic surgeons do is that you, you never want to be. Uh, just a technician, like in the sense that you know somebody comes in, tells you what to do, and you, and you do it. Uh, that's that's not it's not good medicine. Right. It's, it's not it's not the right thing to do for the patients. So absolutely. So I, I I frequently see patients that come in and either what they want is unrealistic or not achievable given their anatomy, or wouldn't be favorable for them from a functional standpoint. So a nose that's too pinched or too skinny would they wouldn't be able to breathe through it and it would mm-hmm. look unnatural. Or if they're asking for something that looks not like a nose that exists in nature, that a nose you could have been born with, you right. kind of a thing, then then that's then that's also not something that I would be willing to do. So I I I frequently do tell patients mm. that, you know, I I don't think you're a great candidate for the surgery and and uh, you can certainly, you know, seek a second opinion, you know, uh, hear the names of other people who I think do an excellent you know, rhinoplasty idea. in the yeah. Bay Area and you know these are the people you should see. But yeah, but at the end of the day, and so the other thing that I find really useful in kind of having that conversation with somebody is I do uh, computer imaging, so I'll take photographs of the patient before surgery and then d- this is during that uh, consultation. I have a uh, you know like a 50 inch TV on my wall in in my office, and I'll throw their photos up, which is always super awkward to see yourself <laughs> in HD, yeah. every every little line and wrinkle yeah. from you know a few feet away. But I'll morph their photos, and I'll show them six different versions of their nose, and they get to pick their nose in front of me essentially. So, wow. <laughs> so I can't, they, I can't wow. help but think of um, yeah. Michael Jackson when you talk about this this kind of story, like the nose mm-hmm. pinching, you can't breathe, it's not the right 
thing to do is more cosmetic surgery. Again, this comes up all the time with our guests and just talking is, you know, what the patient wants versus what's right Right. and worrying about. And as a solo practitioner, you're probably not really as worried or, or maybe you are about the patient's rating or score or that, you know, our, our, our patient evaluations of us and how that matters. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, so, so it's definitely a, a big deal in the world of plastic surgery because patients do find you online and, and, uh, there are good point. places yeah. like, uh, Yelp and uh, real self and, you know, various websites where, where patients will talk about their experiences. And, and so the reviews are, yeah, just, just as important or, or, or even, yeah, even more important. But I, but I think, uh, because that's a, that's a way that people find you and learn about you. And that's part of the patient's research process and selecting a plastic surgeon. But, but, uh, but yeah, but I think at the end of the day, I think patients appreciate you know, just that you're straightforward with them and let, and let them know if they're not a great candidate for the surgery. Uh, like I, I had, so another procedure that I do uh, occasionally is uh, what's called dimple creation surgery. So people that are mm-hmm. born without dimples, you can actually create them in the office. It's a, wow. it's about a 30 minute procedure to wow. make a little hole from the inside of the cheek and you connect the inside of the cheek and the outside of the cheek together. And, uh, wow, and, and wow. you can basically make, I'm calling you Monday. Make, <laughs> can so that can, be reversed? If you like, if like, if they were to say, I mean, what happens if they do that? <laughs> if and they then look they're in like, the mirror, they're like, I hate that. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I don't right. like that anymore. Then what happens? You can, so you can go back and later subsize the dimple to an extent. So use mm-hmm. a needle to release the two layers of the skin mm-hmm. and, and perhaps mm-hmm. inject a little bit of filler underneath it to make the dimple more superficial. Uh-huh. It's, it, it's sort of partially reversible, but, yeah. but the, but I was telling the story just because I, I had a woman recently that came to see me and she actually flew out from New York for dimple creation surgery and she, she had, um, really thin skin in her cheek and was already starting to get smile lines. And, and mm-hmm. if you look at, you know, people that have great dimples when they're in their, you know, teens or twenties, often when they're in their sixties or seventies, those dimples have turned into wrinkles. They, they turn into smile lines. And mm-hmm. she was, uh, in her late thirties and had already started to get the smile lines. And so I think creating dimples on her would have taken her straight to that wrinkle phase as opposed to looking like mm, cute dimples. Interesting. So yeah. So you, so you, so, and obviously I felt bad that she had, you know, flown so far and spent all the time and money and all, but we ended up, you know, doing a little Botox or, you know, a couple mm-hmm. other things that, that, that she requested. But, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I think you, you always have to look at your role as, as a surgeon first and, you know, do no harm and, and do what's right for the patient and patients appreciate that. Like it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a restaurant where you can go and order whatever you want. Right. right. Yeah. Kind of a thing. It's so. a shame you couldn't have given that consultation via Skype or something that she had to fly all the way there. <laughs> right. And I would like to answer Joe's questions about boobs. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how much of our conversation comes down to butts or boobs. Yeah. Right. Right. Be me. Um, you know, people are probably going to make demands and I guess doctors have to be okay saying no, you know, saying mm-hmm. no is a reasonable thing, but if people are not saying no, people with really big boobs that are inappropriately large get really awful complications like strain on your lower back, strain on your traps, and it's overall not great. And now we're reading all these things about implants being associated with breast cancer and complications. So there's like a million reasons to not keep going up to double D, triple D, F, G, H, Q. That's a great (laughs) point. I didn't even know any of those risks fast risk factors um yeah that's i think a lot of people would want to know more about that what 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 are the risk factors with boobs breast implants in case i decide to get do something crazy tomorrow <laughs> i want to know the health risks. <laughs> sure, silicon sure. does it leak is it you know he's, he's not an expert right i keep just, going back to sorry sorry mostly ent which by, we should talk about neck one, up neck right up. ent hns 
head and neck. It's like very, there's a lot of words for, <laughs> right. for otolaryngology. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I wasn't yeah. even going to try that one. Yeah. Well, at, at one, at one point, ophthalmology was part of it too. So it used to be oh. E-E-N-T. And, uh, oh. so yeah, E-E-N-T. yeah. E-E-N-T. E-E-N-T. Right. But, but, uh, so yeah, but, uh, so stepping back to the, um, to the, to the whole question of, you know, being too big or, you know, being unnatural. I think another thing I, I see commonly is, and it's very popular these days with the whole, uh, Kardashian craze, is uh, lip fillers, and and I and I see a lot of a lot of uh, young women coming in to have lip augmentation, and 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 again, it's the kind of thing where when it's done conservatively, naturally, mm-hmm. and you know, often I'll use a CC or less of a filler like Juvederm or Restylane to make the lips look natural but a little fuller. Yeah. And the people, but the people that you see that look ridiculous are the ones that it's the equivalent of the this you know the size cube breast implant. Yeah, I mean, I, I, a, I've seen some horrible ones. Yeah, out there. I'm yeah. just like. What did it, the it, doctor do, and what? what, right. what why did the person? <laughs> so unfortunately, it's, it's somebody that only needs say one syringe, but the yeah. the doctor is trying to sell them three or four syringes, and then and then they end up looking overdone. And I and I've turned away numerous patients that have come in where their lips already look great, and I'll you know redirect them to you know something else, or just let them know, hey, let's let that wear off what you've already had done, mm-hmm. and and then let me start with a blank slate, or we can dissolve a little bit of the filler that you had overdone elsewhere. But I but at the end of the day, it's not. You know, obviously you could you could sell somebody more more filler, but at the end of the day, you want to do what's right for the person and, and just do work that you can be proud of. Because at the end of the day, it's as a surgeon, it's your name it's is your on art. It's on that it's patient. Art. It's your art, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, just a, one more question. I think I know you have to go soon. You're yeah. a busy man. You're needed elsewhere. You have other press to do. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but uh, are you constantly walking around, like looking at people, either thinking filler. You, could, you could get something filled there, or that person had awful work done. Oh my goodness. Do you, how do you shut it off? Right. So yeah, sometimes watching the uh, the Academy Awards or something, my right. my, my wife yeah, will yeah. get annoyed with me because I'll, I'll keep pointing out the, the bad words. <laughs> right. right. I'd say in general, probably that's um, it's something that early on in my uh, when I was learning the stuff, at, you know, in uh, in in residency and in fellowship and all, I, th- I think I would um, notice it more. And then now it's it'll it'll pop into my head, but it's not something I'm thinking about. Um, all of the time, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Sure, right. It's, it's, yeah, it's but, something we've talked about is like sure. um, once you learn to put an IV in when you're a med student or maybe an intern, but usually a med student, all you can do. I don't know if you remember. All I did for like a year or two, and sometimes even now, is like stare at people's veins and be like, <laughs> I could get it, get it from here, yeah. from ten feet away. I could get that IV it's, in. You know, it's, it's just that thing that it's you're, even yeah. creepier than it sounds. <laughs> yeah, your brain gets trained, you know. And after we started doing colonoscopies, I would like daydream sort of about it, or 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 dream about it. It's this thing that's like all of a sudden, you know, part of you. So I'm sure you see people all the time every day who need work, who got work, who sure, you're yeah. like, hey, do you give out your cards? <laughs> <Here's something." laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, I think, um, one of the, one of the other things that's, uh, that, yeah, that's worth talking about, I think is just that the, the approach to, uh, plastic surgery and facial plastic surgery in particular over the years has kind of evolved. So I think back uh, before we before the advent of uh, fillers um, and the idea, the concept of kind of volume changes in the face. So I think um, at one point your only option was to do a facelift. So at say age forty, uh, you know, women or men would go in and get their first facelift because that was the only kind of choice you had. And then in the last say twenty years or so, patients are uh, we have so many other options in terms of the fillers, in terms of uh, things like fat transfer. Uh, there's a filler I use a lot of called Sculptra. That's really great. And mm. and it's about when you look at somebody who's older or younger, you're not really judging their lines and wrinkles. You're looking at the shape of your face. So like over time, your the heart-shaped face turns into more of a rectangular face. So when, when people have 
sort of too much work done or they have that overdone look. Mm. It's, it's either because too much was put in or they're, they're looking too pulled and tight or, mm-hmm. or they're overdoing it. Um, you know, it's, it's the location of, of where it's being placed and uh, those kinds of things. So, uh-huh, so I think yeah. that cause patients often say like, I don't, I don't want to have that, that overfilled, you yeah. know, overfilled kind right, of look right, or, right. or that sort of thing. And so when, you know, when you're, when somebody's walking down the street and they look like they've had work done, it, it, they, they shouldn't, if it's, if it's done right. well, you should never know. It should be imperceptible. They should just look great for their age essentially. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it's the, the art itself has evolved, I think, tremendously in the last uh, 20 years or so. It's people thinking more about volume as opposed to tightness. And, and that's, you know, because if you look at, uh, you know, a youthful face, it's it's full, it's it's, yeah. it's chubby. It's, right, it's right, like, right. you know, th- like think about your kids. Like they, yeah, yeah. they it's not that they're absent lines and wrinkles. And I think that's what, that's right. the probably the, one of the most common things I, I see is that people keep chasing lines and wrinkles as opposed to thinking about looking like they did say five years ago or seven years ago, you know, those kinds of things. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. And you think it's just going to keep getting better and better. Do you feel like there's a lot of room to go? I do. I mean, I think the next kind of neat innovation will be sort of a non surgical sort of, uh, way to tighten the, the skin and muscle. There, 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 there are a couple of, uh, uh, devices that are being used, uh, currently. And I think that will probably continue to like abrasions or creams or something like that. Uh, no things that are working on the deeper level Mm -hmm. on the muscle and skin to sort of lift and tighten. Yeah. And, uh, so there's been a lot of work in that, in that arena in the last five or 10 years. Well, man, uh, thank you so much for coming. This is super informative. Absolutely. We had a blast. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully we'll get you back on. I'm sure we have a lot more to talk about when it comes to <laughs> looking boobs. beautiful and boobs <laughs> and reconstructive work. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure all three of us will end up coming your way at some point. Yeah. I would like Owen Wilson's nose if you could give me that. But, um, <laughs> Absolutely. But thank you so much. It was yeah. a blast having you on. It was great. Thank you so yeah, much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, really informative. Thank you. If you have questions, remember, email us. H-O-P questions at Gmail. That's H-O-P questions with an F. If you want to call and leave a voicemail, it is 408-444-6623. And we'll see you next week. All anecdotes and patient-related details were changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.